0: listening to the Paul McGuire report on Paul McGuire. On today's program I want to continue in a second in a series regarding like who owns you. In other words if you were invented uh, a technology, a car, a light bulb or whatever you would have the legal right to own that property through a patent or some other legal device because it's something you conceived, invented, produced. So you file a patent. You're an author. You file a copyright. Now, nobody has really dug into this very deeply, but it has been alleged by many scientific experts, researchers, medical professionals, doctors, and companies, it has been alleged that when they Uh, have changed or modified uh, or redesigned the basic DNA inside every man or woman that received the the vaccination. One of the secondary effects of the vaccination was that it uh, transformed a person's individual DNA. It rewrote uh, microscopically the DNA code, that each one of us have. Now, our DNA code is essential to comprehend. It's the basic coding that provides the blueprint, the schematic, the master plan, the the engineering plan about how to construct who we are in all of its totality. So um, this is critical because you and I are people that I believe perceive and believe the far more intelligent, the far more plausible, the far more scientific viewpoint and account of creation, specifically the creation of mankind, and that is the Genesis account regarding the creation of mankind. Then the Genesis account simply says, as you know, that the Creator God, or the infinite personal living God of the universe, Created man, male and female, in his own image, so the God, the biblical God, who is a triune God, consisting of three parts: God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, uh, created the triune God, the infinite personal living God of the universe, and on a biological level, on an electronical electronic level, on a magnetic level, and many other levels. God created every single individual human being as an individual with its own very unique and different characteristics, but when you look into a very powerful electron microscope or something even more powerful, you will notice that every single person has its own completely unique and different genetic code or or DNA, and that our very existence, our very walking into a room, our very ability to to go somewhere or whatever, you and I are constantly transmitting our own God-given EMF frequency, an electromagnetic frequency, that is totally different and unique than anybody else's. It's as unique and different as a thumbprint or a fingerprint. So it can be used as a very unique form of ID. Now, this is critical because it, it draws us close closer to the issue of ownership. And this is not just some little stupid esoteric conversation we're having because, you know, we would rather play Trivial Pursuits and uh, we lost the instruction manual, so we've settled for this game. That's not what this is about. We must understand that the world we live in right now is absolutely completely different, 100% different, than. The world that existed sixty five to seventy years ago, if you were to be able to comprehend the massive structural physical changes that have gone on on planet earth they are they are radical far reaching and fundamental in every in every sense of the word so <clears throat> uh, charles darwin's theory of evolution was Perpetuated, propelled, and financed secretly by the Illuminati and the occult elite in uh, Great Britain—probably something you don't hear in the public school system—but it's a fact. And what they did is they destroy, they deliberately destroyed biblical Christianity by making up their own fable, allegory, fairy tale, or whatever you want to call it, called Darwin's theory of evolution, in which mankind is the product of random chance evolution that occurred over approximately 200 million to 300 million years. And that before that, we were primitive life forms, and before that, eventually, if you go back far enough, we may even have been an inanimate object like a stone or a rock. So, where is this taking us? In in just about every situation where Depending upon the POV point of view of the of the person in charge, <clears throat> in just about every situation, there there is uh, the the legality of ownership that sooner or later arises. So in other words, who is the owner of anybody, every any person, a- any creature, <clears throat> any universe, or any number of things? Who is the owner? Of these beings, or of these geographical areas, or of these territorial dimensions, who who has ownership? Now, there are many ways we could deb- debate or evaluate that issue. One simple one is that in contemporary society, ownership is often symbolically represented by the name of the owner, expensively. Secured or attached uh, to a particular object of ownership, and therefore you may call it the the you know, rainbow ranch or something, and it's owned by a corporation, a corporate entity. So when it comes to human beings, for thousands and thousands of years, beginning with Adam and Eve, every man or woman that was born had unique and different DNA or a unique and different genetic code that made them a unique and different individual. On top of that, their ownership was not a matter of debate, and their ownership was not a matter uh, of of question. Everybody in the town or the city or the state had a record of some kind regarding the ownership of a particular property, an asset, a person, or whatever. And they had to prove that they were who they were and they had to have legal proof somewhere, somehow, that they owned, either directly as an individual or they owned in terms of a corporation, they owned an individual, a geographic territory, a building structure, a scientific invention like a patent, a literary or photographic masterpiece, which would be a copyright or whatever. Now... We have gone, so for years this was not even a question. You you go all across planet Earth, you go all across planet Earth, and you uh, notice that when you examine the DNA of uh, people, uh, the DNA, the name on the DNA of an individual alive or dead and the fact that it's unique DNA is testimony, legal testimony and proof of the fact that that individual is a child of God, is part of the creation of God, and that ownership document, just forget about the Bible as a religious document for a moment. It is a religious document, but forget that for a moment. Think of the Bible just for the moment as the highest legal document in all the land and in all of space and time. And in this legal document, the Bible, and it refers to itself as a legal document in thousands of places. One of the ways it does that is God continually talks about how he makes a covenant with his people or a covenant with the children of Israel. And that covenant is a proof of ownership based on certain conditions being met, or a proof of promised resources, assets, and blessings based on uh, some kind of proof of ownership and what the Word of God says. So this idea that every man and woman, since the beginning of time, is legally owned by an owner, and that owner is the biblical God. Now, many nations or empires didn't acknowledge the biblical God, but they acknowledged a God, and many times the God that they acknowledged was the biblical God, they just used a different name. But in every case, they were always pointing to either the Judeo-Christian God, the God of Hinduism or Buddhism, or whatever. And if you, look, they didn't have the ability to do the same in-depth DNA examination that they can do today. But if you looked at the DNA of all of these human beings, you would notice that chemically, mathematically, and on every other scientific and biological level, all all of creation, all men and women, had the same creator, the same originator, the same schematic, etc., etc. Now, we come to our time, and for the first time in the history of mankind, we are now having, for the first time in the history of mankind, a debate as to who it is that owns mankind, who it is that owns the genetic coding of mankind, who it is that owns the the DNA, the unique and different DNA of mankind. And now, I forgot how many years ago this was uh, implemented, but it was implemented in the relatively uh, recent future. One of the giant pharmaceutical companies, or several of them, along with uh, a powerful network of globalists and scientists, when they were doing their scientific experimentation into the area of genetics, they determined, uh, they decided to tinker with men and women's DNA, and they inserted in the DNA of mankind an extra or outside label which you could call, if you wanted to, you could call this extra or outside label, um, a proof of ownership. And the words that the geneticists and the DNA scientists put in to men and women on a on a microscopic level were the words Lucifer phase. Lucifer phase is part of the name. Uh, as well as the components in mankind's DNA, and allegedly Lucifer Phase was financed to a large part by Bill Gates and some other scientists. And one wonders: is the term Lucifer Phase, which incorporates the term Lucifer, in in the uh, uh, patent, is that a uh, symbol that says that this person this DNA. This uh, uh, genetic code that this person is uh, under the ownership or patent of Lucifer, because it's in the very description of the genetic coding. So Lucifer phase is a name for a particular chain in the DNA in the DNA sequence of people born and. When they have done deep, deep, deep diving with special submarines going down to the bottom of the surface uh, in, in planet Earth. <clears throat> they have found areas in the deep, 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 deep Black Sea that is completely absent of any light. They have seen strange collections of biological beings that inhabit the bottom of the sea and they, they sparkle and glow very magnificently, because there's nothing down there deep, deep, deep under the water. There's nothing there at all except very primitive life forms that have the ability to biologically glow in the dark. And the related chemicals that enable a primitive life form to glow in the dark uh, use the verbiage from Lucifer Phase, Phase or Lucifer face. And so what does that mean, describing the, the living creatures at the bottom of the sea? What it's telling us is that these living creatures at the bottom of the sea have a certain biological energy, a biochemical energy, that interfaces with an electronic uh, energy, a magnetic energy, and therefore this ability to glow in the dark at the very depths of the bottom of the ocean, the geneticists, the DNA scientists, that, that cut out certain uh, unnecessary DNA uh, uh, coding, added other coding called lucifer phase, and lucifer phase is a biological living component which causes it to glow in the dark at the bottom of the ocean. In the surface world of planet Earth, if you've ever been camping or whatever, you may run into a, a packet or a bunch of like little tiny, what they're called, and you know the name, It's fireflies. And you might see one or two flying, and what they are is they're these harmless flies, but they glow quite brightly in the dark. And so they're called fireflies. And fireflies are actually almost miraculous because they can light your way in a cave, you can see them flying all around you, and they're like little flashlights flowing around in the dark. The chemical name, the biochemical name, the biochemical process that produces the light energy, or the photons, uh, the light particles, from uh, this primitive life form, it's the same chemical ingredient the same genetic coding that is used in uh, fireflies. And so geneticists that that have done this recently uh, and were helped by Gates and whoever got it passed through the government to, to be the owners of a new biological entity because they were the first people to invent and create a hybrid genetic substance that can cause primitive life forms and other life forms to glow in the dark when it's really dark or deep down in the ocean. Now, that's very powerful, but that's just the beginning. In the last number of years, because these scientists have gone on record boasting about their biotechnology and all the things that it could do, uh... They are are boasting and claim, because they have filed the legal patents, they have filed the patents, and they have legal ownership in a court of law, they have legal ownership over uh, this biological energy uh, light forms. And any subsequent biological uh, uh, electromagnetic frequency being or entity that would generate light or do whatever they wanted to do, and since that has never been created before, that entity, that living organism or that being it is proof it is total legal proof that one could present in a court of law that you or whoever invented this thing, uh, whoever you are, you have the legal right of ownership to to this species, to this entity, to this living thing, which has never been created before. And the proof of your living, the living proof of ownership that you possess is a genetic code that has been deliberately, uh, uh, a genetic code that has been deliberately manipulated to prove that you're the legal owner of a never-before-seen entity or microscopic creation. Therefore, in man's society, not necessarily God, you are the owner, the owner of a being. Now where does this take us? Okay, this is this is now now we're entering the realm of the revolutionary and the unthinkable. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. Since finishing my brand new book, Power from on High, uh, and that is flying out of here by the way, and you need to get yourself a copy while you can. In Power from on High along with the book before it, The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind in the History of the World. And in many of my books written and published in the last four years, like A Prophecy of the Future of America, The Day the Dollar Died, Are You Ready?, Conquering the Matrix, and all these other books, I devote a considerable amount of high-powered time analyzing all this stuff with a biblical worldview and projecting for you outlining for you in, in the simplest terms, but giving you enough, um, enough depth to make it meaningful. I have outlined for you in my brand new books, the roadmap of where we are now, where we'll be six months, a year, or five years from now, should the Lord tarry. And what is the proof? What is the legal proof that some of the things that I'm asserting can be asserted? And and what we're running into now is this gigantic factoid. I kind of have an obsession with that word. Factoid was a word that Fox News used all the time when I used to be a regular commentator on, on the Fox News network. Nobody uses the word factoid anymore, but I find the word retro, and I find the word kind of stupid. And so it, I sarcastically enjoy using the term factoid. Because it's kind of a lame analysis of the news, and so much of the news we receive is lame. Okay, so looking at the legal ownership from the position of, of a factoid, there are many legal experts, many judges, Supreme Court judges, the highest uh, 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 judges in our land, the highest legal institutions in our land. The, the institutions that determine what we can do, what we can't do, what's legal, what's illegal. And these are the most powerful legal institutions in America. But they are all predicated and they are all built on what America, since 1776 and before, has codified into law through writing, penmanship, or the, the Gutenberg uh, printing press the laws, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, and on and on and on, are all written down legal documents by which we govern our society. That that high level of discipline that produced America flew, flowed directly out of a Judeo-Christian belief system, where you, where you had a written law. This came, the concept of writing down the law Uh, and teaching it to others, this concept was also—we in America, as a Christian nation, we borrowed the writing down of the written law. We borrowed it from the ancient Jews and the children of Israel, who from the very, very beginning, beginning with Moses, who had to climb up Mount Sinai and receive the written law that God gave to mankind— and God wrote his law, the law of Almighty God, into the very rocks high up on Mount Sinai. And it was a supernatural event in which the law of God was carved and written into the into the stone supernaturally by a stream of fire. And so that fire functioned as the finger of God writing down in, in numerical sequence, the laws of God, and, and with that went the Ten Commandments and, and related laws. Okay, all of these things implied and and stated irrevocably that mankind was created by the biblical God, and the only people who rejected that would be the pagans and the tribes and, and the New Age people and stuff like that in ancient societies and the Hindus and Buddhists, et cetera, et cetera. So, once they went into to like the biological being of men and women. Now, let's remember what the law of God says in the Bible. The Bible is the law of God. All the commandments in the Bible are the law of God. God and his law are one. Very important. God and his law are one. The whole concept of a society, a civilization, <laughs> it's existing and flourishing or whatever cannot occur apart from a codified Written down, well thought out law or legal system. You cannot have a powerful society, you cannot have a flourishing society without a codified and written down law. Now, the law of God all, from Genesis to Revelation tells us emphatically, as a matter of truth, capital T, that all men and women are owned and created. By the Creator God. They may have uh, individual free will. In fact, all men and women do have free will, but that means they don't have to necessarily obey God. They can volitionally choose with an act of their will to disobey God. But all men and women have been given a free will by God, and that makes them different than the animals and robots and AI and cyborgs and everything else. Now, In the law of God, this is critical. In the law of God, it says that God, this is the triune God, that God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he made them both male and female. This tells us that the biblical God is part of the triune God that Jesus prays to as our Father who art in heaven, the Father. The triune God is God, the Father God, the Son God, the Holy Spirit. Yet at the same time, when we take a deep dive into the genetic coding of all men and women, when we take a deep dive into the genetic coding and the DNA of the human race with Adam and Eve and other creatures found on earth, we discover that God specifically says that God created Uh, In the image of God, God created men and women, male and female. He created them. So all males and females, all men and women, are created in the image of God. That means they're created utilizing a a very similar DNA coding structure and a very similar DNA uh, and genetic coding structure. Thus, the DNA of God is replicated in his crown of creation, men and women. And men and women have both female and male characteristics. And that's a whole topic in and of itself. I I can't just skim through that. Okay, so we know through genetic proof. We know by the law of God, the law of God written in the book of Genesis, that all men and women are created in the image of God, and he, God the Father, created them both male and female. That Those statements in the Bible are the eternal legal proof uh, and the eternal legal law of God communicating to us that we are not owned by ourselves, we are not independent operators, that every man or woman is created by God for the pleasure of God and by the plan of God. And we all have a purpose to live out as we are created by this living God. Now, when Adam and Eve broke or rejected the Word of God by eating from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden, man fell. When man fell, Adam and Eve's DNA became corrupted, they became degraded human beings, they lost their God given right to rule and reign on planet Earth. They lost their God-given right to have immortality, uh, uh, perpetual youth and health, all these supernatural gifts. Man and women lost all of those enhancements when they rejected the Word of God and disobeyed the Word of God, And, and Eve was seduced by the serpent of old. And the primary sin is the same primary sin that's always committed by man against God, and that is mankind rejected the commandment of God and the Word of God. In this particular case, mankind, Adam and Eve, rejected the commandment of God and deliberately and willfully chose to eat from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. Now, God warned them originally that in the day that you do that, you will surely die. They did it anyway. In an instant, they lost the life force, which I believe is connected to power from on high. Remember that. I, I spend a lot diving into that pool of knowledge in my book, Power from on High. It, 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 it's like opening God's master secret library containing the secrets of the universe and the world. So Adam and Eve rejected the Word of God. They fell, which means they lost their power, and they began to die and grow old. They began to get sick. Uh, They began to age, and immediately Adam was caught up in anxiety and fear, and they were both ashamed of their nakedness. Immediately they were caught up with fear and anxiety and ashamed of their nakedness. Now, at this point, They are not the men and women God originally created them to be. They are lesser beings. They're still, this is very important. Adam and Eve are still the highest level created beings in all of God's creation. They're they're the very top of the pinnacle. Adam and Eve are the most powerful beings in all the world, and they are above all beings in the world. They're above the angels, the fallen angels. God's angels, and Adam and Eve are the only creatures created in the image of God who who God had plans to let them rule and reign in eternity forever and ever, and they've been granted so many supernatural gifts, and they're the only beings that can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus, that can be made born again by faith in God's Word, and who can uh, live eternally. No other being could do that. Now, okay, so now that we see the collapse and the disintegration of the current genetic coding system, the current DNA system, where man falls from its original status of being made in the image of God, both male and female, Adam and Eve are now walking around in a lower status, and they are vulnerable and open to the dominion of Lucifer, They're under the rule of Lucifer. Lucifer is now legally allowed to become the temporary god of this world. And Lucifer actually does become the god of this world. So the world that we're living in now is being temporarily ruled by Lucifer. Temporarily ruled by Lucifer. He's the temporary god of this world. Up until the time, in the relatively near future, that Jesus Christ returns at the second coming to gather his people, all those people who are truly born again, whose sins have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, and by faith are born again and have been given the supernatural power of God. So, history is moving by us like lightning. And now, the Bible says, Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. What does that mean? It means that in the days of Noah, God viewed the human race as vile, wicked, perverse, super evil. Now, mankind had been that way many times in a cyclical basis, but, right, but, but back with in the flood of Noah, mankind was at an apex of evil and perversion and darkness and Satanism. And God warned them that he would judge them if they didn't cut it out. So what happened was, they continued to rebel against God in the day of Noah. But notice the sequence in which God lists the sin, the evil, the degradation, the Satanism. The very first sin, in in terms of priority, the, the sin which really violates the will of God, is the sin of being vile, wicked, perverse, breaking God's commandments, violating the laws of God. And the evil and wickedness that flourished all over planet Earth was a major flashing red light sin, that things were getting really bad and God would have to deal with it. But that is not what God caused God to, to, to deal with it, because mankind had been vile and wicked and evil before mankind is just doing it over again. The, the, the primary sin which caused mankind to, to cross over the trigger line of God's judgment was when human women began to sexually mate with fallen angels and the descendants of the fallen angels, the rephim and the Nephilim. This was the primary trigger sin. Men and women, especially women, chose to rebel against the commandments of God, and when the fallen angels came down onto the earth, uh, and other angels came down to the earth, the fallen angels, especially, excuse me, the human women with human DNA, sexually mated with the fallen angels, thus producing the hybrid race, which consisted of intermingling the DNA of of human women, a hundred percent pure DNA, mixing with the corrupted DNA of the fallen angels, producing an interspecies race consisting of uh, the intermingling of the DNA uh, of of the fallen angels and and human women. The intermingling of these species—Nephilim, referum fallen angels, and human women and and, and males produced a hybrid or a corrupted race. Now, in analyzing this, in the eyes of God who is holy, this is the numero uno big sin. This is the big whopper. This is the thing that defiles the earth. This is the thing that that causes a hyper overdrive and the corruption of the earth. Why? Because under the direction of Lucifer, the fallen angels have seduced human women, and have corrupted the creation of God. They have perverted the creation of God. And remember, if somebody is not 100% human, then that person is uh, defiled, non-holy. If you're not 100% human, you cannot... uh, be impregnate, impregnated with with the pure DNA of men and women. If you're not a hundred percent in your genetic code, human beings, then you are a genetically modified creature of some sort. And genetically modified, genetically altered creatures, it is impossible for them to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's impossible for them to get saved, and it's impossible for them to have their sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, it is this sin, above all the other evilness and wickedness that mankind was doing, it was this sin that triggered the massive, what scientists today would call a human extinction-level event, the flooding of all of planet Earth. So what was the goal of uh, God in flooding all of planet Earth? The goal of God in flooding all of planet Earth was to wipe out and extinguish all the corrupted DNA in all the living creatures. God wanted to wipe out the corrupted DNA in the fish, in the insects, in the birds, in the in the lions, in the tigers, in the elephants, every living creature of every species, of every genetic combination. Every living creature was Targeted by God to be completely wiped out in judgment by the great flood of Noah, which killed off every single living creature whose DNA had been corrupted, ultimately going back to the human women and the fallen angels. So we know from reading this passage of scripture in the early chapters of Genesis, God did not do this because he had a temper tantrum. God did this because. The violation to the integrity of his creation, the genetic code, was the most serious violation that Satan and the fallen angels could have committed. And it was that sin that caused the human race to cross over the line. God prepared deliverance for Noah and his family. God perceived Noah and his family as... um, as uh, authentic, 100% human beings genetically. And therefore, Noah and his family, and the wives of his sons, and then God had uh, Noah construct this massive, futuristic ark spaceship-type boat, and God uh, Noah brought onto the gigantic ark, two by two, male and female, uh, a sampling and a selection of every living creature, male and female, two by two, brought into special compartments on the great ark. And they were supernaturally protected when God poured out the global flood judgment. They were supernaturally protected by God and the the supernatural ark of Noah. Then after the flood waters subsided, uh, and, and God had proof of it, and Noah had proof of it. Um, what was God's first command after the flood waters subsided, and after God revealed a rainbow revealed a rainbow uh, over the skies as a sign to Noah and his descendants that he would never destroy the world by a flood again, so the critical words, the the mandate of God when the floodwaters subside is God says to Noah, his sons, their wives, and all living creatures, God says to them in the way of a commandment, uh, be, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So the commandment of God to Noah and his families in the ark, and after the floodwaters began to settle, is God gives mankind that the entire human race is given a fresh mission, mandate, and commandment by the infinite personal living God of the universe, the only true God. And that commandment, coming from the only true God to mankind, once again was this, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Now in my book, I, I, I do a deep dive into this whole area of DNA, genetics, artificial reality, artificial beings, synthetic human beings, all this stuff. And you can get my brand new book, Power from On High, at uh Paulmaguire.us. But it does not stop there. It does not stop there. We we read in Genesis that it's obvious the primary motivation for God to judge the earth by a flood judgment, is because the worst sins that were being committed in the eyes of God were the the flagrant perversion and destruction of the pure genetic coding uh, and the pure DNA coding of Adam and Eve and their descendants. Now, we notice something in the first chapter and in the second chapter of Genesis We read a similar mandate, a similar commandment, a similar mission statement from God Almighty to Adam and Eve. God gives mankind our marching orders, and I want you to hear them and think about them. When you understand what those words mean, this is what will happen when you understand what those words mean. I believe, personally, you will experience in your inner man and inner woman a literal detonation of of the dunamis, which means the dynamite, explosive power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you have you may not have heard this type of uh, uh, Bible study incorporate language like that, but I believe that a careful study of the Scripture. Gives me the full license to use those words in that manner. Okay? So I'm going to say it again because it is critically important. God chooses after He creates mankind, Adam and Eve, and you know, you read the whole Genesis account of creation. It's magnificent. It's like a cosmic symphony or a cosmic, you know, spectacular uh genesis is 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 a is an anthem to the love and the character of god moving through the created order and reassembling itself like like some kind of majestic and holy and pure um creation into form thus the new earth the new heaven the new jerusalem etc so so god creates creation, and he creates Adam and Eve and tells them to go out and be fruitful and multiply. Now, here's the critical thing. He gives them the same divine mandate that uh, Noah and his family received. And that mandate, again, were these words. They're, They're all important. God is saying this time to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth and subdue it. So the primary mandate to mankind from God: we have to, we not, you have to own this truth, or you're just walking, you're driving a little tricycle on the highway. You're in Southern California in one of the fastest, most dangerous highways on planet Earth. People are driving at eighty to a hundred miles an hour all around you, commuting, and. You, in order to to, to keep up speed, you must synchronize your driving and your speed with the surrounding environment if you're going to survive. And so God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. He gives similar commandments after the flood of Noah to Noah and his family. He says the same basic thing. He says to Noah and his family, Noah and his wife, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Okay, so what does this tell us about the primary focal point for God? What does this tell us about God's primary intention? We've got to drive this baby home. We've got to hit the target here, or we're going to be in various GPS measurements. We're, go- we're going to be uh, uh, significantly off our target in terms of GPS satellite tracking, that could cause us to land thousands of miles off our, our assigned target. It is, it is not excusable to miss the mark as to what God's target is. Missing the mark, by the way, is, uh, is the proper definition of the word sin in the Bible. The word sin in the Bible comes from the word metanoia, which comes from the word Missing the mark, like in a dartboard or in a bow and arrow set or whatever. When you fire and you miss the target, you miss the bullseye, that's metanoia. It's missing the target or missing the bullseye. Metanoia is a theological word for sin. So if we want to hit God's target with our lives and not be guilty of metanoia, if we want to hit the bullseye, if we want to hit the target, In terms of what God's commission, God's command for our lives and the lives of those all around us is all about, the way we hit the bullseye is we have to study and show ourselves approved, not make stupid assumptions, but really through Bible study, prayer, seeking the face of God, we have to lock in on, we have to lock in on the great assignment, the great adventure. Of God Almighty. And it's only after we lock in on that divine assignment that God can trust us to be the stewards and the rulers and the priests and the kings of His planet, planet Earth. Okay, so this is what happens Noah and his family, they're commanded to be fruitful and multiply. Adam and Eve are commanded to be fruitful and multiply. Thus, one could derive the theological or biblical truth that God's greatest desire, God's greatest mandate to men and women is that both men and women are by God, commanded by God, to be fruitful and multiply, to be fruitful and multiply. Now, now, let's take the next step. We're going to take steps very quickly, very incrementally, and and with great precision, laser-like precision. Because we, you and I together are going to uncover one of the greatest secrets of the Bible, a secret not known even remotely by the vast majority of Christians on planet Earth. So let's, let's, let's focus in with laser-like focus here and ask ourselves the question, why is God all about being fruitful and multiply? And then that demands that we ask a deeper question. A demand is placed upon us, and we can respond by accepting ignorance, but remember, when we study to show thyself approved, when we study and read the Word of God to the degree that God commands us to study and read it, we are living under the blessing of Almighty God. So, what does John 3:16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. So, the primary mandate by God, the whole reason that Jesus Christ died an agonizing death on the cross, that made it possible for you and I to have our sins cleansed by faith, that made it possible for you and I to be born again by faith and to live with God. In heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, and the new heaven for all eternity. So this is where this is we're locking in with laser-like precision. The Bible teaches us that obviously God prioritizes that mankind is fruitful and multiply and fills the earth and subdue it. Why, though? But why? You see, you have to ask the next question: why? Because everything we read in the Bible teaches us, and this is the difference between the God of the Bible and all the other gods. The God of the Bible, what we read in the Bible about the God of the Bible and what the Bible teaches us is that God is love. Above everything, above everything, God is love. Not erotic love, not romantic love. God is love in in the sense of agape love or Christ-like love or divine, pure, spiritual love. So God is love. okay? So when it says, so when God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, it's not talking about God loving the world in a romantic sense, in a self-centered sense, or in any other lower-level sense. It's talking about God loving all the people in the world and the world in the sense sense of God's supernatural capacity to love. For God so loved the world. For God so loved all the people in the world. That is the the primary expression of who God is. So now, once we focus in on the fact that God is love, and and, and that God loves the world, and that God so loves all the people in the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. All of a sudden, God wants mankind to live forever with eternal life. And what makes that possible? Because God had to create man with free will. So, what makes that possible, along with free will, is when men and women receive the miracle of eternal life and their sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus, and are born again when Christ comes into their inner man or woman. And God's entire motivation for all of this is that the love of God is so overwhelming, so pure, so powerful, so divine, so wondrous, so ecstatic, so joyous, that the love of God is so, so beyond our ability to communicate. But the fact remains that the love of God is the essence of God, And it is God's highest desire to develop an intimate and pure, spiritual, supernatural, dynamic, loving relationship with every single one of His creation, specifically men and women, girls and boys. That's why Christ has a pure delight in in little children. So, little children in a pure, holy God's sense of the Word, God wants to have communion unless you become like little children, unless you become like little children, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. get who God is. God is not a refrigerator. God is fluid, He's flexible, that's who God is God, God can play, God is awesome because God has both uh, fatherly features and childlike features, so it is the will of God. For God to use his people, us, to win as many people to Jesus Christ and to bring as many people into the kingdom of heaven as he possibly can, can, because God is so blown away with total, infinite, and eternal love for every one of his children, every one of his creatures. The thing that turns God on the most is his infinite love for all of his creation, all of his creation. And so God has a, a supernatural, passionate overdrive to to have a deep, intimate relationship, to have a powerful bond and friendship. Imagine being God's friend. Well, guess what? You are. Imagine being God's friend, and again, yes, you are. And then living for all eternity as God's friend. That right there, at that point, when I just said that to you, we have just now we have just now begun to orbit. Planet Earth. We've just begun to orbit Planet Earth, and we've just begun to understand in glimmers of light the very beginning of the pathway of Almighty God, whence we understand through a revelation of the Spirit of God in our inner man, or woman, that God in His totality is all about love, and that God in His totality is all about sending His children, you and me, to bring as many people as possible. Into the kingdom of heaven, into eternal life. Why? Because God is love, and so God desires to have an intimate, pure, powerful, dynamic, awesome, ecstatic relationship with every one of us for all eternity. And that is the very first baby step in your eternal, cosmic, mind-blowing journey with Jesus forever and ever and ever. We're out of time. This is the Paul McGuire report join me in, in love, in reaching people for Jesus all over the world. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Stay tuned for the next edition of the Paul McGuire Record.